Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to another podcast from A View from the Bullins with me, Mick Kemp, Lee McLean, Carl McKenna, Ben Wynn Stanley, and our very special guest today, former Everton player, Michael Ball. Michael, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome, lads. Nice to be here. No, thank you. Just touching on this Sunday's game that was postponed against Aston Villa. Lee, I know you had a lot to say about it on Twitter. Um, it's really split opinions this one what were your thoughts on the game being postponed I'm just a bit confused Mick I think along with everyone else there just seems to be different rules and uh, flying around every time you read an article or whatever um, I know they're saying there's different rules for the FA Cup and different rules for the league but I just think that my thoughts now have turned to potentially what that means for everything further down the, the line this season with, with fixture congestion and stuff Um and I just hope, obviously, you've seen what it's done to us and other teams in terms of injuries and things, um, that it doesn't come back to bite us on the bum a little bit. Um, obviously, first and foremost, it's just rubbish not to have a game this week, this weekend and uh, not able to capitalise on that great performance against Wolves. Um, but it's get, you know on, on, the, on the plus side of things, I suppose, Mick, it's given us a, t- a chance to get these players who are coming back from injuries you know, a, a little bit more time to get fit and... Uh, you know, firing again. You think Richarlison straight away, Hammers, uh, Luca Dean. It's, it's a chance for all these to come back and get fit. But mate, who who, who knows? I I don't know what these decisions mean anymore. My head's gone with it all. <laughs> Carl, it it means we've got ten days off um, before the Sheffield Wednesday game on Sunday. Do you think that is something that Carlo would have welcomed? Um. I'm not too sure about that, to be honest, Mick. That's a, that's a great question you've asked me. Yeah, I, I think he'd rather have kept the momentum going, wouldn't he? I, I, I imagine. So, what a, what a great victory that was against Wolves. So, I imagine he would have been a little bit frustrated again in, in the fact that, you know, players were off, off for it uh, and, and could have moved into the game on today. And would have been a tough game, you know, Villa the tough side, again, physical fit. You know, I feel like he'll be a bit upset about that and probably... Wouldn't, wouldn't say it, obviously, but he might be thinking, yeah, OK, I'll take that and obviously try and get Alan back and possibly Gabbana. It looks like he could be back in the frame soon and a DCL. So, Gabbana is his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, not seen much of him, but read an article today saying that he's nearly close to fitness, so fingers crossed he'll come back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Carlo will be split about it, to be honest, Mick. I think he'll be thinking... Bit gutted, bit of momentum lost, but obviously getting some players back fit. Mm, ben, I, I I personally think it's a it was a bit of a blessing. Obviously, with no Decore now he's suspended, no Alan. I do think going to Aston Villa without our first two choice centre midfielders would have been a bit of a big ask. Do you think it will be a bit of a blessing having the day off, and it means Alan will be back with Decore out for the next game? 
No, but you look at some of the positives, obviously the players get more rest. Um, and as Lee and Carl both touched on there, we've got certain players coming back. That Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Alan, who have been two massive players for Everton Football Club this year in terms of in the midfield and obviously scoring the goals for Everton. Um, but I, like Lee said, I don't really know what the guideline is regarding the Premier League. We all read articles that under no circumstances a game's going to be getting called off throughout the season due to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So I don't really understand how the game's been cancelled not once but twice on us this year against Man City too so mm. negatively we're going to have to squeeze all these games in down the line and is that going to affect us or are we going to lose momentum what Carl said before and for me it would have been a great time to play them obviously if we end up losing players and we have to play games we're going to be weakened and Aston Villa we're definitely going to be weakened this year this uh well today so and I feel like we might have lost out on three points here um, today we could have played mm, like okay. weak, a lot, a lot weak inside, and could have gone at them. Used a bit more squad rotation um, in our team, and and I think a big negative out of this is that Abdullah Decore now misses the Leicester game um, in a few weeks. Now he's been a, a man mountain in the midfield for me, and an absolute key workhorse going forward and in defence. So is he going to be a massive miss? So we're going to have to play the likes of Tom Davis and Gomez in the midfield again, and we've seen against Rotherham that they're, they're not as, as mobile as the likes of Decore and Allen. So. It's you've got to put positives and negatives. It's great to get re-energized and more rest and get players back, but again, it stops the role and we might not be up to, to match fitness. And I, I don't know how it is in training if they are the players they do in matches. So mm. it, you've got to see both sides of the story, Miss mm, Bully. In fairness to Aston Villa, you know, I think today is the first time they're actually allowed back in the training ground to play at Bodymore Heath to, to train. It's a bit unfair on them, isn't it, to expect them to play a game with no training for ten days. Yeah, of course it is. I think you, um, all your guys have just covered all the pros and cons, really, there. Um, yeah, I feel going into that game, Villa won't have many days to sort of get themselves ready. So it was three points we probably could have got. But, you know, without DCL probably playing every minute so far, needed the rest. So I think that it is what it is. I think with the situation is a little bit better getting called off three or four games ahead. I thought that Man City one was was a bad decision, uh, very too late. Um, Carla would have been working with the players, trying to get recovery sessions in and working on his tactics. And, you know, a few hours before the game, it's postponed. At least this time, you know, Carla can be able to put good sessions in. He'll be able to get across um, what he wants from the players and work on more stuff in at Finch Farm. Um, you know, given the three or four days notice. In the future, yeah, we're going to have a backlog of games. But funny enough, we've been... When we've been under pressure, I.e. played last season and this year, but we played big teams sort of back-to-back um, and not much rest. We've actually performed pretty well. Yeah. Um, so, fingers, yeah, crossed, point, yeah. fingers crossed that hopefully um, that carries on. And we haven't got an excuse. We can't be going into them games going, well, we haven't had a break. We've been playing since you know the start of the season. We've had a little break now. It's time to uh, you know recover. The lads who have got little niggles, the lads who are out injured, a chance for them to... Um, to recharge their batteries as well, but the guys who are fit and the lads, they're, they're mostly the lads who have been sort of on the sideline, a bit of a squad player. A chance for Carlo to focus on them and you know push them a bit more in training, get their fitness levels up because they're not being sort of match sharpness, so they can work hard at Finch Farm. So when Carlo calls upon them, you know they're going to be fit and ready to, to show them what we're all about. So yeah, I agree. There's pros and cons with both, and you know. You know, a weekend without a football game, watching the Blues, it's, it is. You know, you don't know what to do with yourself, do you? You know, so it's, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, it's on a selfish note. I'm gutted it's being called off. <laughs> also at Goodison Park this week, traps was the AGM, a uh, really important AGM as always. Carl, I know you took a real big interest in in this AGM, and I know you watched it. Was there anything in there that that really surprised you or stuck stuck out? No, mix to be honest. Um... It was pretty much same old, same old, really, with them AGM meetings. Um, pretty much what I expected. You know, the questions they asked for, they already had answers for, um, which is fine, you know what I mean? But one thing I was a little bit concerned about was Farhad never attended the AGM meeting yet. Um, now, obviously, when he first came into the club four years ago, he had a vision, and he said, we don't have all, all the time in the world. That was the, that was the words he said. And he said the vision was to establish ourselves to be in the elite. Now, looking at the AGM meeting we had most recently, we haven't really progressed in them four years. So 
we've obviously hemorrhaged a lot of money through Farhad, and he's obviously been a name backing off that, which we're all grateful for. But I think over the last four years, we've just come to the conclusion now that we probably got it wrong in that sense. So with him not being involved in the AGM meeting, I now feel as though he got it wrong, he's made their mistakes, rectified them, and now with the appointment of Ancelotti, which Ben touched on saying best signing we've ever done in 30, 40 years, I can honestly see the future AGM meetings being a lot more positive with a lot more guidance of, of where the club's going. Um, obviously, Bramley Moore is going to be massive. That was touched on a little bit in there. Um, I think one of the highlights of it was the fact that he mentioned James Rodriguez was a free. I mean, how we yeah. got that deal across the line, I will never know, but that's got to be up there, one of the best deals in foot- world footballer. <laughs> I'm telling you now, he's absolutely cool to him. So, I mean, yeah, the AGM meetings are a bit of something, something again, same old, same old, Mick. I, I mean, a few of the lads on, that we're on here with now probably listen to it too. They probably can stand next to me and say the same. You know, we have to see progression in these. And um, I think now after four years, the mistakes have been made and moving forward, I think we've got, we've got something to go after. And with Carlo at the helm, I think there's a bright future for us, definitely. Mm. Lee, Marcel Brands was there. He was, the, he was pretty much the host. He, he did say towards the end, it's been an absolute honour to work for this beautiful football club for the past two and a half years. And I really hope and wish to see you all back at Goodison Park as soon as possible. His contract ends this summer. Was that maybe a, a parting, a parting goodbye? Do you think? I'd be surprised, Mick, if it was. Um, it might just be one of those comments that you you perhaps read too much into, and it can mean a, a, a couple of different things, can't it? But he's um, touching on Carl's point there. I think we've stumbled across um, Carlo Ancelotti. You know, Mashiri's plan. Obviously, I, I don't think he he wanted it to take this long, and he obviously be back to endure the the Cumin and the, the Silver eras where we we admittedly got things massively wrong. Recruitment wise, it was it was shocking. Uh, it seemed like we were just going in with a scattergun approach with no plan. I think the absence of Machiri the other night, it, it, you could look at it in in a positive light to say, okay, I'm comfortable with who I've got in place now in terms of Ancelotti and Brands. Obviously, that on the pitch things are going particularly well at the minute, and there's cause for optimism. I'm just going to take a step back and. Yeah, allow, allow other people to, to speak. Um, so, no, I, I wouldn't tend to read too much into that, Mick. I think he's he's onto a good thing at Everton. Um, his, his last few signings, you know, if you look at them especially, I'm, I'm going to pinpoint Ben Godfrey as being the latest one that we're all buzzing about. Um, you know, he's getting more things right than he's getting wrong now. So maybe we've just had to learn along the way. Um, I'd be disappointed if he left. I think he's um, I think he's a top man. He, he's a smooth operator, isn't he? Um, mm. Yeah, near the running to be the next James Bond as well. If you have no, I wouldn't read too much into that, Mick, if I'm honest. No, Bully, we did touch on it on the last podcast, but I really feel the need to ask you in this AGM, it was spoken about transfer window. Uh, and Brands has come out and said, you know, we're not looking to do much business, if any, but we will keep our finger on the pulse. Do you think it's a missed opportunity not making some moves this transfer window, given how tight the league is this year? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, in the summer um, when we brought the players in that we did, and uh, I always thought Everton January is always very quiet, uh, and you don't really like to get involved in trying to bring players in. And we've always been, we've always failed because we we haven't been in a position to push. We've the season's basically all been over, been out of the cup, so it's been understandable that we haven't brought any players in in, in the January window. But this time around, you know, we're, we're up there challenging for, for Europe and hopefully pushing for top four. So it's a, I feel we've got to kick on. Um, mm. You don't want to stand still. It's, I understand that you know, the financial fair play is really above our heads right now. And it's a, it's a massive balancing act. But, you know, Carlo Ancelotti, we brought him to the club to back him. And, you know, I think he, he'll be one of the big players in to, to lift the levels up in training, and obviously, and he's starting the eleven to be successful. That's what he needs, and he wants players ready now. Marcel um, is different; he's got to balance it all from players now, players for the future, and find you know players who's going to be sort of with us for the next two or three years. Um, Carlo will want to be successful yesterday, so he's got to keep the manager happy. Um, mm-hmm. And if there's 
deals out there to be done. I'm sure we might be there or there around, but I don't think we'll be pushing the boat out. Um, you know, we've got to be really blessed, really, with what Carlo has sort of done so far. You know, he's he's inherited a squad that probably was a bit disjointed. Some players weren't really that happy, probably playing weren't on form. Carlo's brought his own guys in, but many games this season, a lot of the players that he's brought in have been out injured or suspended, yeah. Yeah. and he's had to get the best out of the others. So, while that's fantastic, it's also sort of worked against him. I think of the board, could have thinking, well, he's got the best out of the Roby now, he's getting the best out of Tom Davis at times, he's getting the best out of other players and around him. Michael Keane's, you know, he's been on fire awesome. since lockdown. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the, the other players in the squad who were probably average and below average have raised the game under Carlo. So that could stop us bringing players in um, when we keep on getting successful results. The board be going, well, what's the problem? Um, but we know as fans that you know, expectations you know, since Machine is coming has totally changed. And yeah, we made massive mistakes. And, you know, I was worried when it, when it happened. We've never had money before. And so all of a sudden we've got, you know, a pot of gold and we went out and, and wasted it, really. Um, yeah, and, it's, and it's, you know, it's all different scenarios. There's too many cooks. I think there was obviously Steve Walsh was there. There was, he wanted to have his input. There's obviously the manager wanted his input. Machine probably wanted his input. So I feel now it's sort of calmed down a little bit and they've, they've probably realised the mistakes and um, you've just got to listen to Carlo. You know, you've got to back the manager. You know, what, what, what he's yeah. brought in, the, they have raised the bar. Um, it's only you can question Carlo when he brings players in and they don't do anything. You know, if, you, if they brought Rodriguez in and he was he was a waste of space, then we'd be questioning it, going, you know, why did we back him? You know, but right now the the, the guys he's brought in have took us to another level, and you can see the quality in these players, and we need to sort of challenge that in, in all positions as possible. And you know that does that does cost money, but you know Marcel and Carlo, you know, I don't think Marcel would have got Rodriguez, you know. You know, I don't think that's his remit. I think he's more of like players under twenty six, yeah. seven or so. That's Carlo brought him in, and it's it's credit to Machiri and Marcel to get that deal done. So that's fantastic. And if we can find another one, you're great because we don't want to be standing still. We know we, I think Carlo knows we can improve. You know, he, he's shown frustrations uh, on the sideline, which is good to see because he means okay, we're getting the results, but he's not happy at certain um, mm. instances in the game that he, you know he wants the players to be more sort of forward thinking and don't take the easy option and that's just with quality and you know, having that confidence to do that so fingers crossed that if there's a deal to be done in January we bring him in and it's a, it gives everybody a lift doesn't it every time you, you know, as a player bring it, seeing new faces come in mm. it, raise, it raises your game as well personally but it, and also gives, it gives the fans a bit of a buzz and refreshes everything um, mm. so if, if it's to be done I, I think we've got to go out there to show that we're doing everything we can to push for the, you know, for the top six, top four. Mm, definitely. definitely. Ben, after the AGM, strong rumours came out. I don't want to go too much into transfer rumours, but Joshua Zerski at Bayern Munich, that came out very quickly uh, with a, a loan with a view to a permanent. Uh, again, just like what Bawley just said, he does fit the remit of Marcel Brandes. I believe he's 20, a really good age. Uh, he's made a few caps for Netherlands under-21s. And he's made a few senior appearances for Bayern Munich. Is he an option that you think he might go down? Yeah, just looking at Swiver's stats, he's a, he's a big boy for his age as well. Like you said, he's six for four, played 12 times for Bayern Munich, scoring four goals in the process. And reading online, that they they seen him as a long-term successor to Lewandowski, Bayern Munich. That's why they got him in. And that, it, For me, it fits the remit for Marcel Brands. You look at some of the, the, the figures that come out from that AGM, that they inherited a squad of 40 players worth roughly £311 million. And, Today's date, he's now got 27 players, roughly worth about £456 million. So the average player there is worth £16.9 million. So that stat alone was a, was a massive improvement. And you'd like to see with this Joshua Zerk, you can get that deal over the line for like a long-term future uh, start. He had trials with Everton about four years ago. And I think Bayern Munich came in the fold last minute. And I think what he said uh, at the time during an interview was he would have loved to sign for Everton Football Club. He loved the, the feel around the club, but you just couldn't turn Bayern Munich down, which a young lad like that, you can't really blame him, to be fair. But touching back on the AGM and, Marcel Brands, £60 million spent for Decore, Allen, Hammers, and Godfrey is somewhat of a sublime window for Everton Football Club last year. And I think Marcel Brands sometimes gets a bit of stick for some Evertonians, but I think he's done a really, really good job in the two and a half years he's been there. And I hope to God that he signs a contract and stays, obviously being a member of the board still at Everton Football Club. So 
Um, and another thing, look, looking at the stadium, I think we're just waiting for the green light, aren't we, from the council to come January, yeah, February yeah. now. That, that'll push us on and get a bit of positivity behind because it seems to be delayed because of, I don't know if to do with the pandemic. And I think Liverpool Waters and Liverpool Heritage and the World Water sites are fighting back, aren't they, from certain aspects of the stadium. So I, I hope that can get going. We'll get the green light for that, start building for that. And it, the, the future really looks good around, around Everton Football Club. And it's like Borley said there, Ancelotti will want to push on now, I think. Um, He's got the players there now that he's developing. Tom Davis mentioned and a few others who have come on leaps and bounds under him. So the AGM as a whole for me was positive. And if, if the likes of Cheng Tosun does leave, um, I think Josh Reserve should be a perfect replacement in getting some minutes off the bench, give Calvert-Lewin a bit of a rest and hopefully push on. He can bang a few goals in um, and we can watch him live over at Goodison uh, in the coming weeks, fingers crossed. Mm. Bully, yeah. Moving on to yourself, you, you live the dream of pretty much every Evertonian. 121 appearances, eight goals uh, over 1996 and 2001. You made your debut against Spurs, as a substitute. What was it like starting out within the first team uh, in 1996? You know, you had the likes of Andre Konchowskis, uh Joe Royal, Dave Watson. What was it like? What was the feeling when you come on at, at, uh, at Spurs? Yeah, it was obviously a dream come true. Um, but it was... You know, finishing school and then going straight into the, the YTS at Everton. It's just being in around the players that you've you cheer from the from the stands or probably give them some stick from the Gladys Teeth as well at the time. <laughs> and then next minute you sort of your teammates, your work colleagues all of a sudden. And um you know, you, you sort I would just look around. I was pretty pretty quiet in the changing room and just sort of suck, you know, like a sponge really, looking at everybody, seeing how they, they looked after each other and how they worked, how they developed. And, you know, and after the, only a few weeks or so, Jimmy Gabriel was the reserve team manager um, and he, he got me involved with the reserve team, which was pretty small, uh, you know, probably only about seven or eight players. And it was a mixture of youth, a mixture of the guys who were on the fringes of the first team or players coming back from injured. So I was always sort of training with you know, Anders Limpard and Vinnie Sandways and Granty and, you know, the, the level that they could train at um, was unbelievable. You know, it was so difficult and it was just great to be around them all. And so that upped me game because I wanted to prove myself. So I wanted to make, as I said, I was pretty quiet in the change room. But when you're out in the, the training field, you've got to sort of put yourself about a little bit. I was probably a bit too <laughs> heavy-handed at times at me, at me tackles. Cause I, I didn't want to get, I didn't want anyone to sort of take the mickey out of me. And I wanted to you know, show I can, I want to be in and around this environment, you know, each and every day. And, it probably, you know, raised a few eyebrows, and uh, you know the manager pulled me. It was Joe Royal got me involved in a in a game before uh, the first team on a Friday normally play like a little sort of walk through eleven v eleven to go through tactics and stuff. And he called me in to play left back against Andre, and I was thinking, oh no, here we go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I I didn't really understand the sessions. I was just I was going for. Um, Hundred percent, and you know Andre couldn't get past me. I was I was kicking him probably a little bit too hard, and and Joe Royal just stopped the session. Said Michael, can you just let him get past you so we can carry on to the next session? And I was like, <laughs> oh right, sorry, I didn't know it was like a you know a shadow play. Um, I, I, so you know Joe Royal, I think he just loved my attitude of it all, my hunger to be in and around it, and um, yeah. and then I started travelling with the first team. Um, you know, getting bullied around, getting. getting told to make the cup of tea. I haven't made a cup of tea in my life, so they, were, they weren't the best cup of teas on the coach. But it's just been just being in and around the environments, how they look after themselves, you know, going on the coach away trips and and the reason behind that was so I wasn't sort of starstruck. You know, I ended up getting used to being mates with them all. They weren't my sort of heroes anymore. Um they were just basically my teammates. So I wasn't over overawed when I got given the opportunity. And unfortunately Joe ended up leaving. And I, so I thought me me, me opportunity it was gone. You know, I thought that's it. I'm going to have to start again. A new manager would come in and then I'll have to prove myself all over again to being in and around the first team. But, you know, Dave Watson was, you know, um, you know, he was the skipper and luckily enough, he kept me involved with it all um, and he gave me my me, me opportunity. There was an injury just before half time. Uh, I was on the bench and when you've been on the bench, you feel like you're going to come on for some reason and then when it actually happened with the Tottenham game, I, it probably dragged on that long. I'm thinking, I've, I'm not going to 
get on today. You know, it's a, it's a very important game. It's a, you know, it was a massive game for us at that moment in the season. So I didn't really feel anything was going to happen. But uh, with the injury that happened just before half time, uh, Waggy gave me the nod to get changed, and the, that was it. Me sort of realization of I'm going to about to come on, run on at Gunsford Park and making me debut was um, was sort of like gives you a bit of a shiver, and then that's it. You, your game mode. Um, all I can remember from that game was that I think we had a goal kick. The ball went over my head. It went out and the referee blew for half time. So I had 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. at half time to sort of get my head round, focus what I needed to do. Waggy come over and just said, look, Paulie, you know what the fans are all about. You know, if, you, if you've got an opportunity, put a good tackle in and they'll be behind you. They'll support you all the way. And, you know, I've never been booked. And then I think that's about five minutes. I, I thought I could have muscle Vega or Varga. Yeah, Raman Vega, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I went through the back of him. Just like enthusiasm, <laughs> uh, just trying to stop a throwing or something. That's all it was. <laughs> I, I got booked. I thought, oh, no, I can get sent off in my debut here. So it was uh, it was great. I mean, obviously, it was a big result. We won 1-0. Uh, and just a proud moment for myself afterwards. You know, you make your debut, put that blue shirt on, you're going to support, and you get three points to it, you know. Besides scoring the winner, you can't get much better. <laughs> what What was Dave Watson like as a captain? Obviously, you know people think really highly of him. Was he a really, really good leader? Yeah, no, he was brilliant. Um, he, you know, he was he, get, he was getting to the age, but he he's, he's game management and his understanding of where to be. Um, and, and he had we had a good set of lads. I think we had different different leaders for different things. Big Dunk was great with the young lads. You know, they had Shorty. Um, Dave Watson and I was always defending with, uh, always working with the defenders. So I got to know them pretty well, and they'll have they'll have good times, they'll have banter when needs to be. But they were very professional. They were hard working. You know, Dave Watson would be out one of the first in the morning. He'd be going for like a a one two mile run just before training to warm himself up. I don't know if it's because of his age or what. You <laughs> know, that's how long it took him to warm up. But I was thinking, mm. I, you know, if I'd done that, I'd be knackered before the session. You know, so, <laughs> so but he, he just wanted to play and he wanted to be involved. So he knew because of his age that he had to work harder than everybody else. Even though he was the captain, he had to work harder and be more professional. So, so we're looking at him and thinking, well, that's what you need to be. I, you know, to to hit the levels and the standards he had in his career. That's what you need to do. Mm. Moving on, the return of Howard Kendall, Bowley. What what a feeling that must have been, you know, Howard Kendall walking through the door. Yeah, well, Howard was the reason I signed when, as a schoolboy. Um, when you get to that sort of magic age of 14, clubs really want to tie you down, um, mm. the schoolboy forms. And, you know, there was a lot of clubs looking for me, but the only one I was waiting for was was Everton and it never seemed to be coming and then I got the phone call off uh, my father said he got the phone call off um, Ray Hall to say Howard wants to meet you in the, a local um, restaurant uh, with my family to, to speak to me so I was over 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 the moon and um, it was two tops in Formby uh, and it was qu- quite a posh place and you got to wear a suit and I didn't have a suit to my name <laughs> you know, I, I, I borrowed a, like a friend of the family's suit it was about three sizes too big for me and, and, and it's just been like for him to even ask us to for his time you know that was that was great and we sat down with my parents and it, we we said a few little things and then he just goes well do you want to play for forever football club I said oh yeah of course I do and he goes great and then he told me to leave <laughs> so I wasn't there that long. I had to sit at the other side of the, the restaurant, um, you know, just not doing nothing. Really, there was no phones back then to, to entertain me. And uh, my mum, my dad, Howard, and Ray they sorted out the terms um, to, to, to make my dream come true. So that was, wow. you know, me, me, you know, my mum and dad remember that occasion. So when Howard came back, it was obviously fantastic. But then in me, in me back of my mind, I'm thinking, does he remember me? Does he remember me? I mean, he'd done a few pre-season games and he spoke to the, the, the team as a squad as a whole, not individually. So I was thinking, I don't know if he remembers he actually signed me. And and then all of a sudden, them, the famous Belfield steps, I was you know banging my boots and taking my boots off and Howard just sat down and he was doing the same. And he goes, Bowley, I remember that that night we signed you, and so that meant that meant a lot to wow. me. And I thought, well, wow. you know, if he, you know, he, he he probably did, but then it was just the way he did, the way he went about it. It sort of, you know, give me that sort of proud moment that he does remember, you know, he does remember it, and you know, you just want to play for them, and that's what Howard brought for it. I think a lot. He knew how to man manage a lot of players, and everyone who sort of played under them, he wanted to to do the utmost for them. 
Yeah, you, you played under so many good managers and big names. Was was Howard Kendall, you know, the one that way you really sat back and just thought, wow, I'm, I'm playing under Howard Kendall? But yeah, as a blue, that was you, you'd always wanted to do that. You know, you, you watched Howard be successful as a, as a fan, as a young kid, and you know, and all the players speak about him, all the all the stories everyone said about him. But to actually to be in and around it and and witness it, you know, it was it was you know, it's, it's fantastic. You can't really explain it. You know, you know, I, I afterwards, um, you know, I think I moved on and Howard moved on, and we we bumped into each other in the village, and you just having a coffee, having a drink, and. You just, you know, you wouldn't do that with any any managers. You know, I think a lot of players who, who was in and around Howard, they were, he was like a friend to them, you know. Mm. And also, he was your boss. And, you know, whatever he said went, you know, that, there was no messing about with him. But, you know, off the field, he had a lot of time for everybody. And, uh, you know, he was just, just a great uh, person to be around. Mm. Moving on, and I know this is Lee's probably, is one of the worst days of his life, especially pre-match, the, the... The pre-match build-up to the Coventry game at home, you know, it finished 1-1. Lee, I know you had numerous heart attacks, mate, beforehand. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to ask Paulie, mate. You know, I, I recall that day, I think I was 14, um, and and nerves, I mean, the word nerves doesn't even come close to covering it. You know, go before that game, um, you know, I, I remember going with my mate and his, and his dad, and I don't think we, we spoke in the car on the way to... And, to the game and usually we were all excited and talking and that God, I mean I mean, God knows how that must have felt as a player you know with the weight of expectation the size of our club especially coming only sort of three or four years after that Wimbledon game where we all thought you know hopefully that'll never happen again I was just wondering Paulie what, what was that like you know what was the, you know what did you do to sort of prepare for that game and, and was it hard to play your own game Um. I was a bit. I was very naive. Um, I, I watched that game. I've watched that game numerous times since I've retired, and I'm more nervous watching it than I was yeah. at that time. I think I had that sort of blinkers on. That well, it's, it's Everton Football Club. I, I queued up at half ten in the morning to get into the Wimbledon game at the Gladys Street and being in around all that situation. And you know, we, we got the result that we needed. And the Coventry game. Um, the memories of that was. Before the game, the day before, we went to stay in a hotel, and that we've never done that before. You know, normally a home game, you just turn up at Goodison, and mm. again, that could be a bit of a master. You know, it happens um, all the time now with most games. But yeah. back then, I think Howard just wanted to get the team together. You know, eat the right foods, have a good sleep, and get away from um, the home. So you can sort of focus and relax yourself uh, before you know, a big game, and. I was in that mindset of, well, it's Everton. I know it's daft, but, you know, I was like, well, it's Everton. We're not going to go down. You know, there's no problem. We're going to win. And I had that sort of mentality that we're going to win nearly every game. Very naive of me. Um, but that's just the way I was. And soon as it's probably the feeling of not nerves, but excitement, really, of going to Goodison, of turning up on the coach and the streets were packed. You know, mm. the fans were all out there. They were climbing up lampposts and, you know, cheering us all on. And it's like, Yes, you know, it's game time now. Come on, let's let's go and do it. That was, but I was very young, you know, so I didn't have, you know, I wasn't aware of the sort of ramifications if it all went wrong, and I didn't even put that in my mind. You know, maybe the older players were probably feeling that, and you know, when you look at the game, it wasn't it wasn't the best game at all. Yeah. You know, there was, no. you know, a lot of players were sort of taking a very easy option out, and um, because he didn't want to be the one to make a mistake that would yeah. cost the club, and I can understand it, but. The way I, I went about, I, I was just naive and didn't really think about it. I just thought it's impossible, it won't happen. Um, and the, the, the big, one of the biggest incidents of that game, um, I got you know, a bad kick on my knee uh, by the family enclosure. And me, there was a hole in my knee and the, there was blood everywhere. And uh, the physio, Andy Jones at the time, said, like, you're coming off. And I had a big argument with him. I was like, I'm not coming off. I'm going to stay on this pitch. And that was the realisation of, I need to help them. I need to help my teammates. I want to be involved. I don't want to let the club go down. I'm sitting in the changing rooms or on the bench. So, you know, he slapped me, basically. He, he probably gave me a, a good little right hook to my face. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, because I, obviously, I think the panic set into myself. And he could probably see that. Um, and then I was walking down. I was walking off the, I was off the pitch. And I was walking down the tunnel. And Howard looked at me. And he said, what are you doing, lad? And I said, well, he's telling me I've got to come off. He said, do you want to play? Went, yeah. And he goes, get back on the pitch. So I turned <laughs> around and ran, just ran back on. Um, and luckily enough, you know, it was a scary moment when 
uh, Dublin score. But you know, luckily enough, the result went for us, and we got what we needed to to um, to, to stay up. And the the dressing room wasn't a celebration dressing room. It was more of a relief. But I was in the doctor's room getting thrown up by my throat by the doctors and the physios going, I could have cost the club because, you know, I've lost half a yard because they're holding me in there and I you know, walked off with bags of pills and crutches. But then you're thinking, what's just happened? And it was only the following day. I went to Belfield to get some more treatments and see the doctor and, and Howard was sitting there. It was just like, a, you know, he just looked like a really proud man. Um, and I spoke to Don Hutchison about, the situation and when we're all in the changing room and uh, I was in the doctor's office how does locked himself in the room himself and you know he broke down and just a relief that he saved uh, our football club wow what a man, wow. Wow. What, a man. what a guy yeah it's incredible I mean before the game obviously you know you've got some really experienced players in the dressing room with you Paulie the likes of Craig Short you know Watson and Hutchinson and, and, and the big dunk was there was there a big rally cry before the game, or was it all just? Did you treat it like a normal game, and the lads just went out there and just thought, you know, let's just get the job done? I'm not sure. You know, again, because um, I was so young, I think I was probably just more focused on myself, um, being that sort of that mindset. As long, I, I'll just worry about my first pass and worry about my first tackle and make sure to just get myself into the game. That's all I used to focus on before games. I think I should get me. I was being taught and coached that, you know, when the game starts, get yourself. Um, you know, ready. Don't don't start too slow. So I wanted to concentrate on my first touch, my first pass, and then that settles you then to get yourself into the game. And that's all I used to um, worry about. And and my, my opposition, who am I up against? What's he? What's he good at? Is he fast? Is he left footed, right footed? And and I'll just focus on myself. Um, and as a youngster, that's what I I, I probably didn't have the, the the capacity to sort of worry about everybody else was up to. Um, mm. So I think. You know, the, between obviously the the senior pros, they they obviously know how to get themselves up for the, themselves, but also what to say to the personnel around them. Um, but I, I, the top of my head, I, I can't got no sort of memory of if anyone no. else was sort of under pressure. But as I said before, but if you look at that game, there was a lot. Of, you can see there was a lot, <laughs> lot of players that looked like the pressure they got to them. Yeah, moving on, Howard Kendall departed, and, and Walter Smith came in. Um, you know, we were a struggling club. We had boardroom unrest and we had financial problems. The controversial sale of, of Duncan Ferguson, Duncan Ferguson, sorry, that then happened, obviously. And we'd already lost Gary Speed to Newcastle. How was how was the dressing room after the big dunk sale? You know, how did it sit? Obviously, it was a very controversial sale. And what was it like in the dressing room to lose such a such a key player? It was it was very strange. Um, obviously, Gary Speed left that because that was a bit of a shock. Um, at the time, Belfield was um, it, it was all separated in small, small different dressing rooms. So you had sort of the younger ones in some first team and, and the senior ones in another. So it was quite a bit of a mix. Um, so when Gary left, it was sort of well, disappointed. But then we, we sort of said to each other, come on, let's prove, you know, that we can cope without him. Let's let's you know let's step up to the plate because he was just, he was one of our better players. He was our captain, and he he was very very um, very good footballer. So we needed to know we've we've lost a, a good talent there. So we need to step up to the plate. The Duncan day was uh, you know there was quite a few moments on on that day that I always remember it was um, just before I walked to the first in dressing room. Dunk was the the captain, and he normally gives out the the tickets to everybody and. You know, your phone's ringing with your mates or your dad going, can you get us any tickets? And and you're thinking, oh, I hope I get me four tickets today for, you know, for my friends and family. <laughs> I <laughs> remember them days. And then Duncan, Duncan does give me the water, the, the whole lot of the, the tickets. And I was thinking, right, what's that? And he goes, give them out to the lads for us. So I just thought he was he had to do press or he had to do something else and he, he wouldn't have time to do it. But... Selfishly, I was thinking, oh, mate, if I can text me, mate, and said, I've got a few more tickets here. <laughs> so I was, you know, going around, and the Fodmers never really had much family or friends over. So I'm going, like, well, you're not having your four. You can have, how many do you need? One, two. <laughs> so I was, I was doing me little, um, me Derek Trotter moment for about half an hour, giving all the, uh, the tickets out, and uh, made up. My dad's made up. Everyone, all my friends and family got the tickets that they needed, and, um, and I mean, obviously, the game, the, the way the game went, and we got a penalty, and uh, I think I was big odds. So everyone on my side were all pretty pleased that day because I was twenty-five to one or something, and we we won one nil. <laughs> and the, after the game, we did. I I didn't hear about it till I got in the car, 
I didn't know nothing about it. Um, and I was at Goodison. I got in the car, and it was all on Radio Merseyside or Radio City. And I didn't really believe it. I, I was thinking, no, I can't because I've seen Dunk. And then you know, the realisation of what he's done, I'm thinking, no, that could, could be true. You know, your phone's ringing, your friends are asking you. I'm going, I don't know. I've heard it on the radio just as you. And the following day, he's gone. Um, and, yeah, again, massive shock. Um, and you, just all kinds of rumours were getting flowing about. And, you know, you're focusing on what you need to do. You've won a game. You're supposed to be high and supposed to be happy. I've scored a goal and, you know, we've won the game. And you feel it, it, it wasn't a good atmosphere for a couple of days because it felt like the club was totally split there was the players on one side didn't know what really was happening it sounded like the manager at the time didn't know what was happening we had the board so it was like really disjointed and it was just a strange sort of atmosphere to be in around with and obviously with you know big dunk you know you know the presence he's got you know when he's missing you, you miss him um mm. and it was it was one that it took me a while to sort of probably get over how did that happen you know and you know what was the reason behind it because i think dunk was one of them the leaders when Gary Speed left to say, "Come on, you know, lads, we need to sort of rally round." You know, we, he's chose to move on now, so we need to sort of stick and fight. And you know, it's, so in my head, I was thinking, "Well, it, it's it's gone behind Duncan's back here as well." And um, but yeah, there was plenty of questions at the time that you know no one really knew the answers to. Um, but so unfortunately, you know, we know what happens. But as, as the players ourselves, we just sort of have to worry about ourselves and get ourselves ready for the next game. There's not much we can do mm-hmm. about it. It's gone. No, Ben. What was the feeling amongst the fans? Obviously, when this was happening, um, Duncan Ferguson sold. Gary Speed's already left. Obviously, with the likes of Baldy, they kind of have some idea of what's going on in the dressing room. It, it was a really tough time for us, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit of a shock as a fan because um, you look at like Big Dunk as like a bit of an icon for myself growing up. I used to look up to him, and I think I think like Baldy just touched on. Then it was all all a bit sudden. It just kind of happened overnight. Um, and it took at least a few weeks for this to actually sit, like, sink in, especially with myself, that we've lost a, such a big icon. And I'm, I'm guessing Paulie was a massive influence in the dressing room and quite a big, a big ego there and looking after the young lads, I, so I've heard. But it, it, it's, it was just a really, really strange time to be an Everton fan at that time. Um, like, I, w- I wouldn't blame anyone for leaving. There's a lot of financial issues going on, a lot behind the scenes. So as a fan, Mick, it was, it was hard. It was... It was a tough time growing up, and I'm, I'm sure everyone in here will echo that. And make it floored me, it floored me that mm. I, yeah, it wasn't good times. I remember, I remember obviously the game. Remember the game, Paulie getting the winner there. Um, but I remember the the next day in school, mate. I was in food tech, right? And there was only me and then one other lad called Andy Burton, and he was like he was one of the the hard lads in our year, so to speak. There was only two, <laughs> two lads, two like big, massive Evertonian like us. And I remember a girl came in with a, a, a special edition pink echo, like a Duncan Ferguson tribute, right? And I started crying. <laughs> and like, so did he, right? And we, we pair of us are sat there in food tech with tears running down. And, and the teacher comes over going, are you two lads all right? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we're just shopping onions, miss. And we had to, we, 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 we took five minutes to gather our thoughts and compose, mate. It floored me that, like, as a blue, like, idolising Duncan Ferguson the way I'm sure we all do. Yeah. That was so hard watching him leave and just seeing him, like, pull that Newcastle shirt, shirt on and that. I don't, think, I don't think Duncan wanted to, though, did he? I think it, it came across that. I don't, I don't think it was uh, his first choice. I don't think he wanted to leave in particular. Uh, and, and he came back as soon as he could, but that was a hard time to be a blue. Just that yeah. he had just upon yeah, the edge of very turbulent. Bowley, did Ferguson ever speak to the group? Did he send a you know a text message or or was that it? Was he just gone and, and it, you moved on? Yeah, no, that was it. You just you just move on and you know as you just said there, it was very strange. Like even going up when we play Newcastle next, and I think Duncan done very. You know, I don't think he, he get his head round playing against Everton. I remember him just as, as I was playing, I looked over to the Newcastle bench and he was sitting there he was fully clothed he wasn't kitted so he wasn't involved in the squad um, but I just think he's hard just to play in against the club you know football it happens players move on but uh, as you said I don't think Duncan really wanted to go but um, 
you know, it's 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 happened, and uh, you can just you, you can tell when he put that Newcastle shirt on that it, you know he would have he would have gone out and done well for Newcastle as much as he could. But you know, I think the first couple of times when he played against the Blues, you, you know, he wasn't involved, and um, I just think mentally he probably couldn't play and scored against the the mighty Blues. Hey, Paul, you know when you was at Everton and Ferguson left, did you wear his kit? Because your kit was absolutely massive on the <laughs> One size fits all. That'd be tight on me now, though. <laughs> Soon after Bowley, your career came to an end at Everton, unfortunately. Uh, you know, failed takeover bids. The financial worries continued. And yourself and, and Franny Jeffers, you know, you were both sold to, to Rangers and Arsenal to balance the book, so to speak. How did that big move come to Rangers? Because at the time, it was a, it was a massive move. Um, you know, Rangers were, were a big hitter in Britain at that time. And how were your emotions about leaving? Did you just think, you know, it's time for me to go? Things aren't happening at Everton. And obviously with other key players leaving previous summers, was it, was it an easy decision? Oh, no, it, it, it killed me. Um, it was a decision that took, a, you know, away from me, really. You know, you know, I had a good relationship with Walter at the start and it sort of, it's slightly sour near the end. Um, but then the, the, the final year... Um, the final season, um, I wasn't really getting game time. Um, and then through injury, um, I had to play centre-half. And, you know, Walter mm. said, you know, will you be OK? And I said, yeah, I'll be fine. And, you know, with the guys next to me, Davey Weir and Richard Goff, you know, the way they, they helped me as well. I probably had my best football um, at the club. I, I ended up winning player of the year. And I remember going... Uh, I don't know. I, think, I can't remember where it was to play the year rewards at the time. But you know, Alex Young presented me with the trophy. My dad's favourite player, give him a hug, said thank you, and I just said to everyone, you know, I was in contract talks anyway as it was happening, um, and I just said, see you next year. Um, and I sort of looked at Ken Wright and I looked at the board as I said it. You know, just let's make it happen. You know, let let's just, just you know, settle everything down. And unfortunately, Walter had different ideas. Um, at the time, I could, couldn't really understand why. Um, you know, I did have a, a a knee injury that I was sort of um, suffering with. But as I said before, if I was playing, I was playing well. I was I'd probably have the best football in my career, um, putting good performances in. And I just got the number three shirt back. You know, I started at 25. I got the number three. Don Walter brought in Pistoni. Brought, yeah. but, um, Gary Nace with you brought in David Unsworth. Yeah. I'm thinking, how many left-backs yeah. do you want to keep on bringing in? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And... I just I put my head down. I thought, well, you can't cry about it. You know, put performances in. I got number twelve. Who the hell wants number twelve? But I didn't really care. I'm playing. I'm, I got my opportunities to play. But I just said, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my number three shirt back, and I, and I did. Um, started sort of pre-season. Got the number three, and unfortunately, Walters told me agent uh, that I won't be getting any any game time, and I, if he doesn't leave, I'll, he's going to be rotting in the reserves, which was really hard to take. One, because normally Walter would pull me in the office and he'd speak to me. Um, that was out of the question. I was training by myself pre-season, just running around Belfield, not part of the squad. The lads were all talking to me and finding out what was going on. And I didn't know. Um, all I knew was that the crew from the other side had put offers in for me. Um, and I think Everton were playing on that. They knew I wouldn't go across the park. Um, and they were waiting for other offers. Steve McLadden phoned. He was at Middlesbrough. Um Wanted me to go up and look at the um, the training ground that they just built, and I, you know, like respectfully said, "Don't you know, thanks, but I'm not leaving." You know, and I don't really care what your training ground looks like, to be honest. You know, it's just, but thanks for the interest, and that was really it. Um, but like days and week, sort of weeks, ten days, sort of went by. Howard Wilkerson phoned me up. Um, he was in charge like the England FA and asked me what some current situation is, and. Um, and people just started throwing a concern. I was thinking, what's the problem? I said, I, I, I've done this before. I'll get myself back into the team. Um, I'll prove Walter wrong and I'll, everything will be fine. Um, and then all of a sudden, my, my agent, uh, who was Trevor Stephen, um, phoned me and just said, look, Rangers want you to come up um, and just speak to them. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm not leaving. He said, well, just come up for the weekend. So I, I came, Trevor lived still lives up there. We stayed in the hotel. Um, went to see David Murray. I didn't know too much about David Murray. Uh, he told me the history about himself, and and he basically showed me what I was probably lacking at the club. You know, Everton were bringing other, in other players and showing them sort of. You know, and I'm not a affectionate person. As long as you're playing, I'm happy. You know, that that's mm. it. But you know, yeah. Rangers were saying all the right things. The Champions League, the players that they had in the squad. 
improve. They said, look, you know, come here, you know, play for, you know, play for the year, and you know, move back down, or hopefully Rangers felt it might be in the Premier League one time. And and I was like, right, okay. And I was wasn't really dis. I wasn't really interested. I thought, well, it's not going to happen. Um, and I got on the phone to my father and I said, look, it looks like I'm, you know, Rangers, um, Everton. It looks like they've agreed a fee. And, you know, my dad wasn't too happy about it. And I was like, well, what do I do? Um, went back to the Belfield and spoke to the amount of our squad, but all Scottish, you know, there, were, there was John Collins, Celtic. He explained, you know, he, he had to say Alex Clarence, um, Dunk, um, Gaza, Jimmy Firebelly. There was all playing around who, you know, just all he said was good things about Rangers. And I was just thinking, well... Howard Wilkinson said, "I need to. My my game has gone very defensively. Um, the way it started, and he said so. If you play with you know good football and team, it will play football properly. Um, you can start sort of moving up the pitch and st- start expressing yourself in other areas, and that will help you get into the, the World Cup. It's happening in in, in two thousand and two, and so everything was sort of like saying all the right things with he would like a salesman but I wasn't I still wasn't interested I still didn't think it's actually going to happen and I, in a in a strange way I probably I tried to play Everton a little bit and I said you know oh I'm going to be signing um, but then my knee injury um, Rangers were really concerned with my knee um, the medical records from the from the club never came through so Rangers had to do their own medical which lasted you know a couple of weeks uh, up there and it was just then I just knew that the club, Everton, wanted me out. They, you know, they were trying the best to force me out. They were, they were obviously, mm-hmm. you know, and I was thinking, why would I want to go back to a place that they don't want me? Um, you know, before that, I missed the point. Sorry, I was away in the summer with me, with me family and friends, and I got we were in contract talks, and I turned up. I got told to turn up on the Wednesday to go to Goodison to sign the contract. All agreed. We all went out. I was in Spain. I took all my friends and family out for the you know congratulated meal that you know I've signed my deal. And when I turned up at Goodness on the Wednesday, the the secretary at the time said, "Well, we've just had the message that the board have changed your mind." Um, so that was that, that was sickening. So then, with the Rangers situation, they were just saying all the right things. They were showing me affection, showing me what they wanted me to do. The manager was very uh, successful and uh, and had his sort of thoughts of what he wanted to do in in, in Europe and Champions League and, and domestically. And, he, and I thought, right, OK, you know, let's, let's let's give it a crack. Let's get back playing football. That's what I want to do. And they're giving me the opportunity and a sort of a stepping stone, to, well, not a stepping stone, an opportunity to go and play football. And that's what I've, I've always wanted to do. And if it's going to be here, it's going to be here. So that, that mm. was it. Um, I remember Preno phoning me up when I left Belfia for the last time. And I was just in tears to him. I said, I couldn't speak to him. Um, and it still probably hurts now, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's sort of you know, I was still young, I, mean, I was 20, 21, so it's sort of yeah, well, that's it. We that career's a chapter's over, and you're just thinking, hopefully, one day you can go back. Mm. You played for Rangers, obviously, PSV Eindhoven, Man City, and Leicester. Bully, you played in some terrific derbies, uh, you know, Everton, Liverpool, obviously, the Manchester derby and the Glasgow derby. Just a quick one. How did they differ those three derbies, and is is there a derby that you would say was more intense than the other? They, 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 yeah, they're all the same. I, I'm going to be biased and say Mersey because it means more to me personally, being a local lad, and you know. But I've played in Merseyside derbies that have been terrible games, you know, and I've played in old firm games that have been terrible games. But then, um, the Manchester derbies, you know, at the time we were always the underdog, um, and first time we've done the double over Man United uh, I think it was 2008 for the first time for over 40 40 50 odd years so that was that was a great occasion but I think we agreed that when when there was something at stake the Celtic and Rangers derbies were was something else it just brought that little nastiness little just a little extra you know we've got we know there's the religion up there but you know, probably the best game I've witnessed was the game I wasn't involved in because I was out injured. Was a League Cup final where Rangers scored like an injury time to win three two, but the way that game went, you know, one team scored and the crowd getting up, the other crowd getting behind them, and it was just sort of back and forth, back and forth game. That the game was sort of exciting to watch. The fans were all in full voice, making making huge noises, and yeah, it's the the they're the, the, the game the 
the, the brilliant games, them big massive games and they all and derbies that they're, they're right up my street. I loved them all. I had a bad record to be honest when I was up at Rangers, uh, but you know, did well in the end. Um, you know, I had a good record for Everton as a young kid going all the way through, and I think the three two was my first derby defeat. Um, so, so winning derbies is the best feeling ever, but getting beat, you know, no matter where you are, it's it's sickening, you know. Borley, on Borley, on that point, mate. In terms of that, obviously you you played in the last one we won at Anfield in '99. Mm. Uh, our record since is, is it's embarrassing to be honest um, against that that team. Um, why do you think that is? is it, you know, can you put your finger on why our record against them is so bad? And and do you reckon it's going to change under under Ancelotti? I haven't got a clue why. I used to read the programs, not just about Everton Liverpool games, but you know. Some programs, you know, put up and it'll show you sort of stats of your form against this team. I say Nottingham Forest, and we haven't beat Forest away for so many. I'm going, well, that's a totally different side, totally different manager. So what? You know, what? Mm. You know, it doesn't shouldn't matter. But unfortunately for us, um, since '99, you know, it's it, it's embarrassing and it's it shocks me. Yeah. That, you know, I've, yeah. you know I, I speak to people and you know, they're kids. You know, 18, 19, they haven't seen us. You know, when at Anfield, know. you know that's really shocking. We've had our, we know we've had our opportunities, and we've had a bit of misfortune at times as well. But that happens in in football games. So, you know, fingers crossed. You know, we've got Carlo here, um, and we've got obviously better players. So hopefully, that voodoo is is over sooner rather than later. And you know, because the more it goes on, the more it seems like the pressure that sort of hangs over the club, uh, even though it's new players coming and going. But yeah, hopefully let's get let's get rid of that because it's uh, you know it's not it's not a good not a good stat at all. No, because it's even it's even started to spill over into the Goodison format in derbies as well. And it, I mean, you can understand Anfield's a difficult place to go, but I mean, we always I mean in your era, Paul, you know, just before that, the nineties when you know we we didn't have the best of sides, you know, every season, but we always seemed to have a good record against them. We could always raise our game, and and he hated coming to Goodison. We've lost that now. Yeah, as well. I think well, I think so, back then I think that. Well, I can remember Julier and was talking that they tried to treat us as a normal game and they tried to big up different games um, and the mindset yeah. of, of them. We just knew that if we make it a bit of make it tough and physical and and disrupt them, they wouldn't know what how to play a plan B. You know, they haven't got that plan B in them. Uh, we we sort of get rough and ready and and focus on our sort of you know, our big strikers, Kevin Campbell and Dunk, and, and make it difficult for them. And um, you could get something out of the game. I think the pressure got to them. I think the pressure was on them at that time because they were obviously the better better players and they had to sort of implement the game. We were sort of, in, not to say um, a no-lose situation, but, you know, if we got beat, people would go, well, you should get beat because of the better side. But we made sure it was going to be really difficult for them to do that. Since then, you know, I think Liverpool tried to play their own game and knew that, we were, Everton would be forcing the issue. Everton are desperate to try and get rid of this voodoo and they need to beat your arch rivals because we haven't had sort of trophies and, and cups to sort of mm. worry about. And that's our biggest game of the, of, of the season, unfortunately, because we haven't been um, in and around the Champions League and, and, and cups. So the pressure's been on us and Liverpool have probably played on that and thought, let's just play our own game and the pressure will get to them and they'll force the issue and that's where they mm. find the gaps and they, and they hate us because we've played against them so many mm. times that we've done well in certain situations and then just lack of concentration and, and silly mistakes yeah. is, is cost us and you know that, that's when you're yeah. chasing games, it's always difficult. Paulie, mm. just on that note about the Cups and stuff like that, we've had a debate ourselves off here and on here. Um, what would you rather have yourself, Paul? Would you rather have Champions League or some silverware? Yeah, silverware. It's Silver. Silverware. Uh, I, I I speak to a lot of people about this, and I just remember say even Mourinho come uh, when he first come to Chelsea. You know, you look, you pick up that program, and you look. There's silverware there. You know, it's it's on. No one really remembers finishing fourth or finishing third. It's yet yeah, great season, but you haven't achieved anything. You, you play football. Well, you know, I do play football to try to, to win to things, win. and and and. and, and yeah, okay, it's it's great financially for the club and exposure worldwide. But when you win stuff, the mentality of the club actually changed because you've actually won something. You know, Marina went into Chelsea. I think his first cup he won was the League Cup. Man City, the first manager when he came in, they, the first thing they won was the League Cup. Their, Man City haven't won anything for you know, 30, 40 years. Their mentality totally changed because they've, they've said they're going to do it, they've done it. And then when you've done that, you've got that belief in the whole club that now we can become winners 
and to me, let's do, let's repeat this. And then if you're winning mm-hmm. trophies, you're the good side. So then you're going to the next step will be in you know, the Champions League and then trying to get to you know, maybe the FA Cup. And, and then you're sort of in and around an environment of winners of, you know, we can do it. We can say it. You can be naive and say, we can do this, we can do that. But when you've actually physically done it, it's stamped, it's in history that, look, we won a trophy here. Let's go ahead and try and win that. We'll, we'll win a couple of more the following season. So first, well, first and foremost, that's, you know, I think it's a trophy for me. Yeah, agreed. Okay, lads, thank you so much for joining us today. That's all we got time for, unfortunately. Ball has yeah. been terrific. Thank you. Thanks, 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 thank you so much. Guys, listeners, thanks for tuning in. And you'll be able to hear us again on Thursday for the build-up to the FA Cup game against Sheffield Wednesday at home. Guys, thanks again. Take care and all the best. Look after yourselves. Bye, thank lads. You. See you, lads. 